Welcome to the Be Good Podcast, where we explore the application of behavioral economics for good in order to nudge better business and better lives. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Be Good, brought to you by the BBA Nudge Unit, a global consultancy specializing in the application of behavioral science for a successful behavior change. Every month, we get to speak with a leader in the field of behavioral science in order to get to know more about them, their work, and its application to emerging issues. My name is Janique Mantashian, EVP of the BBA Nudge Unit USA, and with me is my colleague, Scott Young. Hey, Janique. It's great to be joining you. And today is a very special day because we're going to be speaking with an extremely special guest, our colleague and mentor, Eric Singler. Eric is the founder of our BVA Nudge Unit, and he's also the managing director of the marketing and consultancy group BVA. He's the founder and president of the think tank Nudge France, and he's also the author of several books, including Nudge Marketing, Green Nudge, and Nudge Management. Eric is the pioneer or a pioneer of the application of behavioral science in France in both the public and private sectors. Eric, we're very, very happy to have the opportunity to really have a great in-depth conversation with you. So welcome. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Jenik. Uh, it's very nice to have this conversation uh, with you. I am used to be uh, the interviewer, but uh, here now I am the interviewee, and I am very uh, happy to share some ideas with you. Great. Well, I think we'll, we'll start off with a similar format to the one we've used with our, our external guests, which is to ask you to start by sharing a little bit of your personal history on how you discovered and became excited about the field of behavioral science. Uh, in fact, I remember very well at that time, uh, it was in 2003, I was working on my first book, which was about uh, understanding uh, shopper decision in the consumer good uh, area. And uh, my idea was to share in a book uh, more than 10 years of learning as a practitioner from uh, my experience with my company uh, in vivo. Uh, now PRS in vivo because, Scott, we have the same parallel, uh, I would say, journey from uh, market research to applying uh, behavioral science. So at that time, it was really about understanding um, shopper shopper decision-making in consumer goods. And I have always been very interested to learn from academic researcher. And my idea was to know more about what the real researcher, the academic researcher, uh, have to say about decision-making. As it was in 2003, just one year before, Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize. I have to say that I was not aware of the experiments conducted by uh, Daniel Kahneman, but uh, I discovered the work from Daniel Kahneman uh, and Amos Tversky at that time, and it was really a wow moment. Someone very smart in a very rigorous way was able to identify some uh, mechanisms that I was experiencing as a practitioner. For example, the importance of uh, context, of emotion, of uh, bias, mental shortcuts, and so on. 
So I discovered behavioral science at that time. And from there, I have a passion and I started to read everything regarding uh, behavioral science. Now, I know, Eric, you mentioned, and we know personally that you've always been very interested in the academic research at the cutting edge of behavioral science. Are there any particular researchers or mentors that had a very strong influence on you in this area? Yes, I would mention at least uh, two uh, genius, I would say. One, the first was is uh, Dan Ariely. When uh, Dan published his book, his first book, Predictably Rational, in 2008, I was lucky to uh, read it. And again, uh, I was amazed. And it was a second aha moment uh, because it was not only very clear, very fun with a lot of insightful experiments, but at the same time, it was concrete and very clear for me that it was not only behavioral science about understanding, but also about how from this understanding, we could design action intervention, uh, which are more efficient to encourage people to adopt a new desired behavior. So the reading of uh, Dan's book was absolutely uh, uh, essential for me. And I was lucky to uh, write to Dan uh, to meet uh, him. And I met him um, at Duke. And we, have a, we had at that time a half a day conversation about behavioral science. And I can tell you, I'm sure you, you know, uh, when talking with Dan at the end of this talk, you are more than a big fan of behavioral science. So Dan was the first one. And from uh, there, I am very happy each time I have a conversation with, uh, with him. Second is Cass. Uh, we interviewed some months uh, ago uh, both uh, Dan and uh, and Cass. In fact, I invited Cass some years after, in 2017, in France, just after the election of President Macron, uh, as our main speaker in the first bit conference in France regarding the application of behavioral science. So it was really uh, nice to accept to be the leader of this uh, conference, the main speaker of this conference, and also uh, to go to l'Elysée after the conference with me to discuss with uh, the main uh, advisor, the closest advisor of President Macron, Ismail Emelien, to discuss how to apply behavioral science in a new, for a new government. So two mentors, Dan and Cass. Eric, you mentioned several aha moments that I know got you very interested and excited in behavioral science and started to see the possibilities. I was curious whether there was a particular project uh, that, that where you really started to make the transition to applying it to your own work um, and your own life. Uh, in fact, the first uh, very important experiment we conducted was with the uh, French government in 2013 uh, with the tax administration on a very concrete topic, how to encourage French citizens to declare their revenue 
online using uh, the website rather than using a paper form. So it was the first time that the French government uh, was using the behavioral science approach and we had a very good um, result with more than uh, 1 million additional um, citizens using the website in um, comparison with the control group. So it was for me the demonstration, concrete demonstration that it works using, when you use it in a very uh, rigorous way, you could accelerate and encourage efficiently people to adopt a new behavior. So uh, it was really, uh, again, a wahoo moment, a waha moment, uh, because of uh, this uh, success, which was also very important for the French government to convince um, Uh, public decision makers that it worth to learn about behavioral science. Eric, you wrote three books dedicated to the application of behavioral science. Could you tell us more about why you decided to write your books and what do you see as the main message of each book? Your first book was Nudge Marketing, which has been published in 2015. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my idea is at that time, I started to work on this book in 2013. I was quite long to write uh, the book. It was a lot, lot of effort uh, to me. Um, and the idea was uh, very simple. Uh, behavioral science started at that time to be used in different countries, especially in UK, in the US, but also in uh, Singapore, for example. And I was very motivated to promote the use and the application and the knowledge um, of behavioral science in my uh, country. It was the first objective of this book, Nudge Marketing, to promote uh, behavioral science. And because of my background as a practitioner and a marketer, market researcher, my idea was also to provide advice, framework uh, to help Uh, applying behavioral science. So the book is about uh, sharing the main knowledge, sharing a kind of a short history about behavioral science, the main learning, bias, and so on, and also how from this knowledge uh, it is possible to efficiently apply learnings to design uh, more powerful intervention, both in public sector and in private sector, because my experience was mainly in private sector. So the title, Nudge Marketing. And your second book is Green Nudge. Why did you decide to publish a book specifically focused on the topic of the environment? Uh, in fact, here it was more uh, an opportunity and a context at that time. Maybe you remember, uh, it's very important and it was very important already at that time in France. Uh, we had the COP21 in, in 2015. Um, so it was a very hot topic, uh, especially uh, in France. So my publisher was interested that I apply and I try to identify some good case studies and examples to demonstrate to uh, 
people interested to accelerate the necessary change in this area of environment, in fact, to encourage people to adopt new eco-friendly uh, behavior, how could they do it using behavioral science, knowing that um, uh, information is not uh, enough. So the opportunity was the COP21, and at the same time, in parallel, I have been contacted just uh, uh, before to work with a think tank uh, in this area of environment, which was interested to know more about the use, the power of nudge to help uh, in this uh, critical uh, topic. So I decided to write this book, Green Nudge. And we have a lot to say as behavioral science practitioner in this uh, area. There is the intent, everybody wants to save the planet. And at the end of the day, it is not exactly what we do. So uh, uh, being able to encourage this behavior is absolutely fundamental. Great. And your third book is Nudge Management, Applying Behavioral Science to Boost Well-Being, Engagement, and Performance at Work. Why do you believe behavioral science is powerful for these issues? Uh, in fact, uh, here again, the uh, idea came from clients. At the very beginning, the request we were used to receive that the BVA uh, nudge unit were more about what we call now nudge marketing meaning how to encourage external targets, citizen, passion, consumer, uh, user of an app, uh, and so on, to adopt a new design behavior, which is good for them and good for the organization. But I started to receive requests about encouraging employees within an organization to adopt new design behavior. Uh, for example, for safety at work, for cooperation, uh, also to encourage people to uh, innovate or for big topics like, uh, again, uh, environment, but also like diversity. So the more I have started to work there, the more I was absolutely convinced that behavioral science could also uh, strongly help in uh, creating an environment at work uh, which is good for people, uh, for their own well-being, and also for um, the, uh, uh, the organization uh, itself. So I decided to, uh, to learn again from the expert in behavioral science. You have experts in a lot of different areas and experts in the use of behavioral science in the workplace. Changing gears a little bit, I, I did want to ask you about the birth of, of BVA Nudge Unit. Um, I believe that goes back to 2013, and I was curious to hear what led you to decide to form a consulting unit. In fact, it was quite an easy decision to make because first, I was very passionate about behavioral science. Trying to better understand human behavior is an exciting and amazing journey. Second, I was very convinced about how important this revolution was, thanks to Dan, Cass, uh, and some others, and a strong believer that behavioral science learning could strongly help organization, public 
and private to be more efficient and design more powerful action. So there was, for me, a business opportunity. And third, I am an entrepreneur. I have created my third business when I was 29 years old. So it is quite natural for me to think about building a new business. I was and I am still the managing director of and partner of the BVA group. So it was easy to convince my friends and partner to create a new entity. And in addition, I was working a lot with two colleagues that Scott, you know, and Jenny very well, colleagues and close friends, uh, Richard Bordenave and Etienne Bressou, who at the time already shared the same passion regarding behavioral science. With Richard and Etienne, both of them at that time working for the BVA Innovation Team, we decided to launch a kind of spin-off from the BVA Innovation Team to create BVA Nudge uh, Unit and to design our own process, integrating not only behavioral science learning, but also inside coming from our strong expertise as market researcher, marketers, and also our knowledge in creativity with the final objective to offer new powerful and innovative services to clients, which are grounded in the power of behavioral science. Can you go into a little bit more detail and, and, and maybe help our listeners understand a, a little more about what we actually do at BVA Nudge Unit? I don't know if that's an example or a case study or something about how it would differ perhaps from, from other units that are out there today. Okay, for sure it's a question you, Jenny and Scott, can answer. The why of the BVA Nudge Unit is mainly to combine behavioral science and sector expertise to drive successful behavioral change, to build also enduring capabilities and at the end of the day to deliver measurable results. It's about having positive impact. At the very beginning, meaning in 2013-14, it was really about helping public policy decision makers to design more efficient intervention. That's why I started to share with you this experiment with the tax administration and what we call in France the SG map. At that time, we also worked with the Minister of Health and some other ministers, the Road Safety Department, the City of Paris, and others. The topics were all related to behavioral change, but very diversified. For example, for the Minister of Health, it was about encouraging French people to pay on time what they have to pay when they have been hospitalized. In France, we have maybe, you know, a great health system with the Sécurité Sociale, but we have to pay a small amount in this situation and often for any reason, it is not paid, which produces more than 500 million euro uh, loss for the French government. For the road safety department, it was about encouraging young drivers not to use their phone while driving. And for example, for the city of Paris, it was about designing a new pilot building in cooperation with a property developer, which would encourage inhabitants to adopt eco-friendly behaviors and also which creates well-being and 
encourage positive connection between neighbors. So, very different topics, all related to encourage the adoption of a new positive behavior. Each time we were trying to follow our process, defining a new desired behavior, starting with ethno research to understand the context, followed by brainstorming creative session to create intervention nudges. And uh, because in behavioral science, we are in science at the end to test and if positive, deploy what were the most uh, efficient interventions. And uh, I have to say humbly that we have been very successful with some strong ROI and also awards like ESOMAR for our partnership with the French government. So it was uh, at the very beginning of the nudge unit, but quite rapidly, meaning 2014-15, thanks to our specific background and also because we were convinced about the power of behavioral science, not only in the public policy space, we decided to promote behavioral science and our nudge approach within the private sectors. And we started to work with companies like Unilever, Nestle, Coca-Cola, Bristol Myoscript, Kellogg's or Chanel, or BNP Paribas in France and some other big companies. Again, it was for very different topics like improving customer experience, encouraging digital adoption, optimizing communication, actually what we call nudge marketing topics. In consumer goods, for example, how to create habits which products which are good for consumer, for their health, or the planet, for example, which is indeed good for the organization which sells a product. It develops some uh, specific uh, uh, element like the market and the organization is happy to see the market reinforced and bigger. In the pharma industry, we have quite often work on the topic of compliance, how to encourage patients to be compliant to their treatment. So it was a type of uh, work we started to do. After, progressively, we also conducted mission in the area of what we call nudge management in relation with my uh, recent book, meaning encouraging new desired behavior within organization, breaking silos and encouraging more cooperation between teams, creating management practice which reinforce employee engagement, promoting uh, innovation and or learning habits and behaviors, or creating a safe psychological uh, environment. We are big fan of Amy Edmondson's work or reinforcing safety at work to reduce uh, accidents. It is also about coaching leaders to help them to make better decisions or to infuse beside within the organization. So uh, it's about globally promoting positive internal change for the organization and employee well-being. I remember, uh, Jenik, uh, one mission we conducted together, which I think has been uh, one of our most interesting and inspiring uh, one. It was for uh, the e 4 movement 
which is, uh, I don't know if you know, the gender equality movement of the United Nations launched by two absolutely uh, amazing uh, women. The first is Fungzile Mlombo, who is the executive director of the United Nations Women. And the uh, second is Elizabeth Nyamayaro, who was uh, at the time the global leader of Iforshi. And our mission for Iforshi was to help the Iforshi website to be more efficient to recruit new members. So we have worked together with the E4SHE team. And at the end of the day, we were able to multiply by 12 the number of uh, the conversion rate, meaning the ratio between the number of visitors and the number of people who decided to become a member of E4SHE. So it was a really wonderful experience because it was really an illustration of what we call nudging for good and also the power of nudge to change behavior. So in this case, it was about promoting gender equality. But our main topics are digital adoption, digital conversion. Also, we work a lot for companies like Chanel about customer experience, or we work quite a lot in pharma industry uh, on what I told you before, uh, compliance or helping doctors to make better decisions. So a large round of decisions. Eric, I know you and BVA Nudge Unit have been among the pioneers in bringing behavioral science to the private sector. And I was curious to hear some your thoughts about really where those opportunities exist um, and how behavioral science can be better leveraged in the private sector. Yeah, it's a very important uh, question. I do believe that the application of behavioral science within an organization is something which is critical and could add a strong and structural competitive advantage to the companies which are able to really efficiently and in a more systematic way apply learnings from behavioral science. That's the reason why of my book, Not Management, to really explain the power of behavioral science in the workplace and promote its application within an organization. Uh, so at the Nudge Unit, we have put quite a lot in this direction. And now I think it is something which is well recognized. Behavioral science is a powerful approach to boost organization performance and also employee well-being and engagement. The most successful and innovative companies, I think, like uh, Google, Amazon, eBay, uh, Microsoft, and others are in this process of systematically using and applying behavioral science. There is a basic reason why before employees or customers, before being employees or customers, we are all human. And with behavioral science, we better understand humans. So applying behavioral science learnings allow to create more efficient action. It is very basic, but I think very powerful. If as a leader or manager, you want to encourage your employees to make better decisions, to be more effective at work, to cooperate with others, to innovate, to learn. We all know that all these, what I call winning behavior, are very critical to the success of an organization in our rapidly evolving world. Behavioral science is a very powerful approach for all this. 
we know that some behavior like speaking up, for example, are not natural and a lot of other winning behavior are not. You need to create, in this case of speaking up, uh, what Amy Edmondson called a safe psychological environment. So that's here that if you know very well how to create a motivating cho choice architecture, which encourages people to adopt some very specific behavior, you will be more efficient as a company because this intervention will be grounded in the real understanding of human being. I know when we bring and we discuss behavioral science in the private sector, um, a lot of ethical issues and questions come up quite quickly. And I was curious to your thoughts with respect to how organizations should think about the, the ethical dimensions of applying behavioral science. Uh, for example, I know we've been involved in the Nudging for Good Awards. Um, I was curious, maybe that's something you'd want to speak about as well in terms of that, that larger issue of, of ethical application. Yes, for sure it is a key dimension that we absolutely need to take into account from the very beginning. I would say that all the behavioral science practitioners have this in mind. After having published Nudge, for example, Cass has published another book, which is The Ethics of Influence. And he has recently published Trusting Nudge. I don't remember exactly uh, the subtitles, something around a bill of rights for nudging. Uh, those books are really dedicated on the right nudge, the ethical way to use behavioral science. And for sure, it is absolutely fundamental because if you don't use all what we know about how to influence, to encourage people to adopt the specific behavior, if it is not in their interest at the end of the day, if you don't follow rigorous rules, it is clearly manipulation. I have to say that some other uh, academics like uh, Professor Peleansen or Liam Delaney at LSC uh, which has created the framework for good, have also worked on this topic of ethics. The debate is specifically important with the nudge approach is applied for sure for private companies. We could assume in democratic countries that if the governments want to promote a new behavior and does it for the good of people, we could consider that it is legitimate. It doesn't mean that in public policy the question is not relevant. It is obviously fundamental that ethics is at the heart of what is done in this area. But the question is really critical for private organization, I think. Because for private organization, not should be used when it, it is not only in the interest of the organization, but also in the interest of the individual. It is what we are used to call a win-win objective, which is encouraging good behavior, which is good for the organization. There is no problem with this, but also good for the individual. And if possible, it is a win-win-win objective, good for the planet. Now, uh, to be frank, I think there is a kind of consensus in the behavioral science community regarding what we need to ensure um, we do in an ethical frame or in an ethical way. For example, the framework I mentioned for good, it is an acronym designed by uh, Liam Delaney. And I think in our BSI community, everybody really is okay to consider if the objective is, is, is for the good of people, 
if they really share that is in their objective, if there is still, and it is key, the freedom of choice without any suppression of any option, if the mechanism we use is transparent, in this case, we could consider that we use, we use what we know uh, to influence people in an ethical uh, way. And if I come back to your uh, question on the Nudging for Good Award, I think it is a wonderful initiative from the AIM Association for our learners, uh, listeners, sorry. Um, the AIM Association is the biggest European association regrouping the big consumer good players. The idea, initial idea by AIM uh, was to promote the use of the Nudge approach by IM, AIM members to encourage consumers to adopt behavior and make decisions which are good for their health and the planet. We have been delighted at the BV Energy need to accompany AIM in creating the awards, coaching the members, and personally, I've been very honored to be part of the jury led by CAS. I encourage our listeners to visit the Nudging for Good Awards website to see the concrete nudges which have been designed by the winners. Um, I remember the Nutri Plateau by Nestle to encourage healthier consumption for children. Also, the Pampers Recycling Initiative, it was for, uh, by um, Procter & Gamble. Also, a wonderful communication. I was very uh, moved by um, this communication by ACT to promote uh, gender equality. Please go to the Nudging uh, for Good uh, website. You will see it's really amazing. To me, it's really uh, a perfect illustration of the ethical application of the nudge approach by private uh, organization. I don't remember the exact quote by Richard Taylor. Uh, just after the first edition of the Nudging for Good Awards, it was in 2017, something around, I don't know what I like the most, the idea of a Nudging for Good Awards or the idea of the winner. Uh, we were so happy uh, to have this quote from uh, Taylor. I think at that time, um, the idea of the winner was uh, uh, from La Roche-Posay, uh, L'Oréal Group, about a UV patch aiming at minimizing sunburn risk and also decreased chance of uh, skin uh, cancer. So it was a really great uh, idea. One last question about uh, behavioral science and, and, and the private sector uh, would be, I know you and, and certainly we as well have seen a lot of different organizations and, and, and brought behavioral science to many different ones. I was curious if you could generalize about uh, where you see things working well um, and perhaps what advice you would give to people leading businesses or, or divisions about how to best infuse behavioral science and, and learning within their organizations. Yes, it is one of our major topics at the BVNA unit. We have discussed, you know, quite a lot about this uh, internally. We have also organized a lot of meetings, debate, conferences with some of the star and our friends within the field. 
with Kaz, for example, uh, but I remember some great conversation and great insight from uh, Dilip Soman during our Be Good podcast conversation, also with Fezal Naru, who was, uh, I think, very insightful regarding this topic of infusing behavioral science within uh, organization. I believe everybody uh, agrees that it is a really important strategic objective. Infusing behavioral science, as I told you before, is something to me which is as important as the digital revolution or the data science revolution for a very simple reason, because it is a revolution of about better understanding people. And being able to better understand people is a fundamental way to better manage a company, to make better decisions, to be more effective, to create a better work environment for employees' well-being, both from the individual interest and from the organization perspective. I personally do believe infusing behavioral science is a promising journey. So, in fact, my initial thought is it is a topic which is absolutely fundamental, which definitely worth the effort. It helps to me to create a sustainable structural, as Peter Drucker would have said, competitive advantage for the organization. But also from our experience at the BV Energy Unit, we know that is a very challenging journey just because it is about change and not a small one. So to me, we have to think about it very uh, carefully. Uh, in this uh, journey, my first uh, advice would be about internal sponsoring. Um, if I tell you a, a short story, after the election of President Macron, I had a conversation with the French government about creating a behavioral science team within the administration. My contact, my friend Ismail Emelia, at that time he was a special advisor of President Macron, asked me what is key to be successful or what are the main traps. Uh, I shared this question with some experts worldwide, including with Cass and also uh, David Alpern at the BIT. And Cass sent me a, a picture of him with Barack Obama saying, when you have a sponsor who is the leader of the organization, it helps a lot because everybody within the organization is convinced that, okay, if Barack Obama or the CEO of an organization or the leader of my team is really convinced and supports the application of behavioral science, in this case, it is clear for everybody within the organization that it is a key topic. It helps a lot as a starting point. So. I think having ambassadors, if you can have a CEO of your organization or at least your team leader, it helps a lot because one challenge for behavioral science is, except for some very innovative companies, there are very few chief behavioral science officers who have the authority to say, um, I don't know, let's say the head of human resource or marketing director, you have to apply this. They don't have the authority to, to do this. So it's very important to have a strong support from senior management to win against the statu quo bias because we all know from behavioral science that we as humans like the familiar. We don't like change and applying behavioral science is about changing. 
So first, to me, is really about uh, having a, a, a sponsorship. Second is uh, uh, about taking into account the context of the organization. You know that when key learning from behavioral science is context matters a lot. So my second advice would be to adopt a BSI infusion strategy, which is adapted to the specific context of your organization. It is quite different if you are at the very beginning of your journey with behavioral science or if your organization is already using quite strongly behavioral science learnings. If you don't know anything, you start with uh, you with behavioral science, I think you first have to create interest and curiosity about the power of behavioral science applied to your organization challenges. So to me, first, if the organization has no background in behavioral science, you need to be begin by creating alliés. The first step is to start evangelizing in order to create interest and curiosity. The best way to do it, according to my own experience, is to organize some internal events in which you invite inspiring, it's very important, behavioral science practitioners to share learnings and case study. This will help your colleagues and ideally, again, the leader of the organization to discover the power of applied behavioral science. The speakers have to share their passion and to demonstrate to the organization with concrete case studies that applying behavioral science could add performance to the organization. And the more you will be convincing at this, the more you will have new ambassador. So I think it is the first step with the objective not simply of a good or interesting lecture, but one that uh, really instill enthusiasm and enough motivation in the audience to drive action. After, if people are interested because they are convinced about the potential of behavioral science to help, you need to have kind of proof of concept, meaning to experiment, to conduct pilots, to evaluate and document the power of behavioral science. But you need to conduct a pilot to demonstrate within the organization that applying behavioral science is more powerful or at least add value to what is usually done. To me, you have to select the topic of this uh, pilot very carefully because it will be critical in your journey. It is a kind of stop or go. So first and foremost, you should eat the advice of Richard Taylor himself. Um, make it easy, which means a clear, narrow, identified topic, a small budget required, and a clear KPI and way to measure it to evaluate the impact of the intervention. So first is really an experiment to demonstrate the power of this um, nudge intervention uh, to solve, to fix some uh, business challenges. And if the first pilot is a success, you could conduct additional, more strategic experiments to demonstrate the potential application and value to a large range of business challenging, uh, involving, if possible, different teams like marketing, sales, insight, 
human resources in order to broaden internal interest and recruit new internal champions. And when you have this second step, which is done, the third step to me is about embedding behavioral science within the organization. It is the most uh, challenging. I think it's much more uh, easier to run ad hoc um, mission. But the idea here is to move beyond ad hoc project and instead to help the organization establish behavioral science more uh, strategically. It's about moving from the tactical to the strategic level uh, as, again, a source of competitive advantage. To me, there are two different options. First is, and it has been done in a lot of uh, government and organization, creating a behavioral science team, a kind of nudge unit. So you are sure you have internal experts that you could help to systematically use behavioral science when relevant. This first option uh, has pro and cons. Um, I think the advantage of a centralized team is centralizing knowledge and providing a clear point of contact for every department in the organization. There are also disadvantages. One main one for me is, except if you have a very big behavioral science team, the impact could be limited to the size and the resources of the team. But you have uh, the internal capabilities, and it's great to start embedding behavioral science within the organization. Option two for me is about placing behavioral science experts within different departments. In this case, the big advantage to me is these embedded individuals will have a very clear, direct sense of each department opportunities and challenge. They can also influence every day their team's culture, mindset, also interacting uh, um, beside, integrating, sorry, beside into the processes. For example, uh, hiring, uh, safety at work, uh, management, and so on. Indeed, the right natural, uh, the right structural solution is very likely to be dependent on each organization. My personal ideal solution um, would be a kind of combination of these approaches, meaning to have some level of central resource which is fostering and super supporting beside advocates who work daily with different teams. Ideal solution, not easy to do, but I think uh, very uh, powerful. But my kind of uh, dream in this process of infusing behavioral science, ultimately, to me, the final objective of beside infusion strategy would be about having every employee within the organization being able to use BSI in their daily work. Uh, for sure, it's very challenging, but to me, a wonderful uh, objective. It's about training, coaching people within the organization, the employees, so they are able to use behavioral science in their daily life at work, meaning uh, making be better decisions every day, uh, better managing the pressure, and so on. When they are in charge of something, I don't know, designing uh, a new advertising, uh, 
they could think about new drivers of influence and designing a new app or thinking about the customer experience. Or you are in charge of employee engagement and how to create manager, uh, to encourage manager to support, to coach their team and to create well-being, sense of uh, autonomy, camaraderie, and so on, because we know that it's fundamental to create engagement, well-being, individual well-being, and at the end of the day, company or team performance. Um, at the BV Energy Unit, we have designed, we are so passionate about infusing behavioral science that we have designed, you know, Scott and Jenik, uh, a specific program uh, which has been designed by uh, our friend and uh, colleague Etienne Brissous. The name of this program is Be Wiser, with this objective of infusing behavioral science for all the employees within the organization. I do believe, in fact, that having all employees knowing how to apply beside would create a fantastic competitive advantage for an organization. Great. Thank you, Eric, for that uh, detailed explanation and uh, great advice. I just want to shift gears a little bit to current events. So as we are in mid-December of 2020, there's obviously one enormous issue on everyone's mind, which is the coronavirus. The BBA NED unit is working for the French government. How do you view this crisis from a behavioral science perspective? And can you tell us more about what the, what the BBA NED unit is doing concretely to support the French government? And more broadly, how do you see the BSI global community helping in that movement? Okay, thanks for this uh, question. Um, in fact, yes, from the very beginning of the crisis, the BVN unit um, has been accompanying the French uh, government. At the very beginning, uh, it was, uh, I would say, per accident. At the very beginning of the crisis in France, it was uh, in March 12, President Macron um, did a, a speech on TV to say uh, you have to be very cautious to stay at home to uh, limit your connection with uh, others. Just the day and the weekend after, we saw on TV a lot of uh, pictures with French uh, everywhere enjoying a very nice weather. So not at all listening to the advice from uh, President uh, Macron. Again, the day after, uh, our Prime Minister, his name at that time was Edouard Philippe, was very surprised and made a new speech on TV to say, okay, I don't understand, because it is clear that it is a very dangerous virus. It is clear that you have to limit uh, your connection with other, and we saw a lot of people enjoying the nice weather during all the weekend. And it seems he was very surprised. And in fact, I was surprised by his surprise. And I posted a post on LinkedIn to say, I don't understand this surprise. Uh, it seems that the French government discovered that there is a big gap between intent and behavior, that we could be absolutely convinced and informed that we have to adopt a specific behavior and not adopting this specific behavior. Uh, why I mention this for two reasons. First, 
in behavioral science, uh, we are able to explain very precisely this uh, gap between intention and action present bias, overconfidence bias, uh, uh, social norms, and so on. Uh, we can explain this, and it is very important to make good decisions, to manage the crisis in this case, to understand why information is not enough, why it is not about convincing citizens that they have to adopt, but creating message, creating uh, communication which really motivates people to adopt new desired behavior because a crisis is about uh, behavior we could fight against the uh, virus just thanks to our behavior because before the vaccination so uh, the second reason why I mentioned this uh, post is, in fact, I had um, 25,000 uh, viewers, but among these viewers, my friend, the advisor of President Macron, Ismail Omenian, read this post and uh, gave me a call. Uh, during the evening to tell me, okay, I had a phone call with President Macron. Is okay to uh, consider behavioral science and to integrate behavioral science uh, in the management of the crisis. And Eric, you have a, a meeting tomorrow with the Minister of Health. And we have started to work with the French government at that time. So to your fourth question, I think behavioral science is a powerful approach to help government to understand that what they are used to do, which is mainly uh, low and uh, classical information, is not enough. Second, and much more concretely, the BV Energy Unit has started to work with the government office of communication on a quite a daily basis. In fact, every two to three days, the, we call it SIG, uh, was used to send us different uh, challenges. For example, how to encourage uh, uh, French workers belonging to what we call at the time essential industry not to stop working. Uh, or uh, one big question from the President Macron himself was, okay, um, uh, I have to send two opposite messages. One is stay at home, and the other one is go to work for these workers. So he asked us, what could I do? And here, our idea was to say, okay, because President Macron has talked about a war against the virus to say, okay, uh, we could mention that there are three front lines. First is for the medical staff to work to save our life. Second uh, front line, like in the war, is uh, in fact um, workers in essential industries, they have to work. And third, for the rest of the population, is stay at home. So just using framing, it was quite easy 
to make something which was supposed to be opposite very coherent, we have a war, we have three front lines, and you could you could uh, communicate different advice uh, and different behavior to different uh, targets. So we did a lot of what we call strategic uh, note. Uh, the last one, uh, for example, for the second lockdown on uh, France, was not to say we will, uh, in a week or two, stop the lockdown, but to say we have, we will have a more soft lockdown to avoid people recovering their uh, previous lives and stopping uh, adopting the right uh, behavior. So what we recommended to President Macron was um, to communicate about three different steps, a very progressive uh, change regarding the uh, lockdown, and it is what uh, he did. So it is kind of a strategic recommendation, and we have worked also on a very uh, more, I would say, ad hoc, uh, executional, operational uh, side, helping for, we have a, what we call tous anti-COVID, which is a, a new uh, can we say tracing up to trace people? Uh, so we have worked uh, uh, here. It was really about nudging uh, each uh, screenshot, uh, selecting the words, the sentence, the visual uh, to make this uh, the adoption of this uh, uh, app uh, very uh, popular. Now we have 11, close to 12 million of French people who have uh, uploaded this. And now the big topic is vaccination. And you, we were together yesterday, Scott, uh, with uh, the Wharton School and some of the uh, big stars uh, feel like uh, George Levenstein and uh, and Cathy Milkman and Angela Duckworth and uh, uh, some others. Uh, to learn about what the community has in mind to encourage people to be vaccinated. And we have a process in place with the French government to start from them there, to learn from the very specific French context about uh, what are the challenges uh, for people who are hesitant, and to brainstorm to create specific intervention and to test uh, to test it. I think it's it's very interesting in the sense that the crisis has really uh, increased the the focus on behavioral science because it's just heightened the the importance of driving specific actions from people and how difficult it can be um, even to move them from intent to action in some cases. Um, but moving forward, as, as we start to move towards the, the end of our conversation, Eric, I was hoping to look a little bit further ahead uh, to the future. Uh, so if, if we look past perhaps the, 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 the specific crisis today and, and look maybe a few years into the future, I'd love to hear your views on the future of um, behavioral science and where you see things evolving. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, nudge. Uh, was at the very beginning in 2010 uh, used by uh, the Behavioral Insight team uh, in UK and after. Uh, 
it was really about solving uh, problems. Uh, for example, uh, my app is not so uh, efficient or people are not in this desired behavior enough and so on. It is meaning correcting problems. And I do believe that the future of behavioral science is to be integrated much more in advance, which means that we create something which is well-designed from the very beginning, rather than trying to do our best to optimize something which has not been created with behavioral science and, I would say, human knowledge in mind. So I really think one uh, uh, objective is uh, to be involved at the very beginning of the process, whatever it is, a new service, uh, uh, a new uh, um, intervention to encourage people uh, uh, to adopt eco-friendly behavior, meaning really uh, not to be at the end of the process and to correct things which have been not so well um, designed, but uh, starting from the very beginning. Second is, uh, I think, thanks to tech, we should be more and more able to uh, use kind of micro-targeting uh, approach, meaning uh, we know the fundamental bias and the fundamental drivers that, of influence that are powerful to encourage people to adopt behaviors. But we also know that everything is, question, is a question of context, of personality, of culture, and so on. And we know that a specific driver of influence could be very powerful for someone, but less for someone else. And if you are able, for example, it is what we think uh, in France right now for the vaccination. If we ask you, thanks to the uh, app we have, if we are able to send some very easy question for people, respecting perfectly the privacy, but knowing your age, uh, uh, maybe your profession, where you are, some basic question, maybe we are able to send you message and to create intervention which are more efficient because specifically targeted for you. So I think the combination between uh, behavioral science learning and tech capabilities could be very powerful with a big challenge, which is the one you mentioned, uh, ethics, uh, because it could lead to Cambridge Analytica when it is uh, done for the worst. But uh, uh, tech is there, artificial intelligence is there, uh, big data is there. Behavioral science is there. How we could combine this for the better? Great. Thank you, Eric. So I think we are out of time. It was really enjoyable to be chatting with you in this way and really hear your story. Um, so I wanted to ask if there's anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with, perhaps where they can find out more about you and your work. Oh, no. My, my only advice is uh, to listen to our podcast 
because if you have a passion for behavioral science, uh, we had uh, absolutely amazing uh, guests uh, this uh, year, I think 14 uh, wonderful uh, guests, and next year will be also a great year. So if our listeners have a passion for behavioral science, I do encourage them to continue and maybe to register to be uh, alerted for uh, when we have a new episode. Be good, a podcast by the BVA Nudge Unit.